Hello and welcome to Freelance Corner. I'm Jess and I'm joined today by Christina, my colleague at Ipsane Freelance Corner. Welcome, Tina. Hiya. This week, we have been asked to cover mental health among freelance creatives. In the past year, lots of creatives have seen their work dry up due to the coronavirus pandemic. So much so that research by Ipsy found that one in three freelancers struggled to pay their tax return in January. And over a quarter said that the tax bill had a strong negative impact on their finances. It's more important than ever that we talk about the mental health implications of the pandemic. Today, we have two guests, Sarah McCaffrey and Rachel Murray. Sarah is a counsellor and psychotherapist and found Solace Mind, a mental health support service for freelancers who work in the creative sectors. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Lovely to be here. We were also joined by Rachel Murray, a writer, editor and founder of Pivot, a newsletter that helps people pivot in a new job, career path or industry. The Pivot website says it is without, and I quote, the BS hyperbole or motivational quotes. That sounds great. Welcome, Rachel. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you for having me. So, Sarah, it would be great if you could tell us more about Solace Mind and what you do. Okay, yeah, sure. So I... uh... In a past life, I was an actor and then I was a training manager within production at the Production Guild, supporting freelancers, predominantly in film and TV with training. And then as a psychotherapist counsellor, I left to focus on supporting mental health and well-being within the creative industries. So my company, Solace Mind, provides counselling, training. So I'm passionate about training so that, you know, especially in film and TV production, there's kind of a standardised, everybody has awareness around mental health. And then I provide a counselling support service. So we support production studios and freelancers, anyone really who needs support. That's so interesting, Sarah. And I guess it's become more important than ever with this year, well, 20 2020 and going into 2021 being so chaotic for so many people. Yeah, I think it's, you know, not surprising that lockdown and the pandemic has a massive impact on people's mental health and well-being. And actually, from my, you know, the people I work with and support, this second lockdown has been even harder because there's that sense, are we ever going to come out of this? We will, obviously, is the positive thing. But after any kind of disaster, there's this kind of disillusionment phase, which is what I feel we're sitting in now, that kind of waiting to get back normal living it's like a limbo situation isn't it we're all in a bit of limbo um rachel you help people change careers every week um, and guide them through that but what was it like when the pandemic hit personally for you having to adapt to that change it was quite hard i'd actually luckily i say luckily um in hindsight luckily i'd been made redundant once before a couple of years ago and obviously in, in a very very different job market So I had a few skills to be able to deal with that when I lost my main contract. You know, I'm I'm 35 and I'd never dealt with anything like this. And being a sole income person, it was a shock to say the least. Um, I'm usually quite a proactive person, somebody who, if something isn't working for me, can kind of take steps to, to try and change that. And that's what I sort of try and help with in Pivot is, you know, incremental steps like not big changes but the little ones that can really impact sort of a day-to-day and I kind of felt a little bit sort of lacking in resource or out of capacity to be able to do anything so having lost kind of my my main and only contract at the time after having been told it had been extended to the end of 2020 I think the first week initially I felt really angry and didn't really know how, how or where to channel that anger so I just sort of sat with it and I thought you know what actually it's a really valid feeling allow myself to be angry and then next week I can you know put what I can into action to change it. Yeah I think a lot of those feelings and that anger is really echoed by kind of the wider freelance community definitely and 
it's easy to feel like you're on your own in that when the reality is it's it's hit everyone, it's impacted everyone. And I think most of our listeners will be aware just how difficult the past year has been for freelancers. But Sarah, could you explain the pressures faced by the creative industries in particular? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, the freelance industry is notoriously difficult, especially within kind of film and TV. But I think so many freelancers that I knew of fell between the cracks. You know, they didn't receive any government support. So there was also that additional, you know, that they literally were the kind of the forgotten. And so obviously, you know, exacerbated, let alone all the stress of losing jobs and, you know, maybe of being on a break from work and then thinking they were going to restart work in March. And then obviously there was the inevitable lockdown. So, yeah, I think it's been it's been a uniquely stressful time, I think, for so many, especially creative freelancers. Rachel, your background is in law, isn't it? Could you tell us a bit about that? And did that massive change in your career path from going um, from being a practicing lawyer to working more creatively with writing and editing. Can you tell us a bit about that change and what that was like for you? Really effing difficult. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Um, I was a family lawyer, so I think I specialised in children law and domestic abuse. So in terms of kind of resilient skills, I I think I had a good baseline for that kind of stuff, having dealt with stuff that was coming in urgent, um, you know, we're dealing with very, very difficult issues on a day-to-day basis. So I had some grounding in, you know, being able to face crisis, which I would say, you know, as horrible as that was, it, you know, it became, it came in very, very useful, especially in terms, not just now, but in terms of the career change. I think the difficulty I faced the most, and it was kind of my, my spark for, for starting Pivot was that, I had always wanted to be a lawyer. I had always wanted, like, since the age of 13, I remember telling my maths teacher when he was trying to teach me algebra. And I was just like, I don't need to learn algebra. I'm going to be a lawyer. And that was it. Like, my mind was absolutely set. You know, we didn't have the internet. So we didn't have the uh, resources to be able to explore things beyond quite traditional career paths. And for me, and like, I, I, I don't know, you know, with my background and my family you know I didn't know any lawyers I didn't know anything like that so it was a case of kind of pouring around in the dark until I got there and so didn't learn anything about anything that wasn't to do with law I moved into you know writing and, and journalism but I didn't know any journalists so everything I've you know I've got now and I, I've been able to achieve has been through sheer graft and trying to you know, making the most of opportunities to contact people, you know, sitting on Twitter and, you know, responding to tweets and certain things like that. Um, I think it was just a lot hard. The change was a lot harder than it needed to be. And so what I wanted to do was illuminate that path for other people and show that actually it can be done. And these are the tips and tricks that actually have worked, but also to acknowledge that such a shift can have such an impact on your finances, on your mental health, your physical health, everything, and, and also your, your relationships with people. So as more people are kind of going freelance at the moment, maybe because of redundancy or just because they've realised where their passion lies and what they want to do, do you think that there are going to be more people who are in that position now where the thing they've always wanted to do isn't what they want to do anymore and they change their, they pivot, I guess? Absolutely. I think, you know, I think that there's such an opportunity now and, and like I think freelance the word freelancer is no longer going to be sort of this mystical thing where, you know, again, I, you know, I only know one or two. I mean, now that I'm part of a community, I know loads. But beforehand, the only person I knew was my best friend and her situation is slightly different. And so I think freelancing is going to come to the fore 
and be something that people will explore more and try because you can and there's so much opportunity and there's so many more resources. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think especially so many people who are in kind of traditional full-time employment are now working from home and they can see that flexibility and um, see how it impacts their mental health and how they maybe want more control over the way that they work. We could definitely see a growth in freelancing following this. And I guess just on that, how do you both see freelancing changing over the next couple of years for creatives? I guess, Sarah, we can start with you. What mental skills will they need to be able to bounce back from this? Okay. Well, I think I would just say that I think in terms of freelancing also, because of this sudden realization, we can work from home and we can do very well from home and everything can be done on Zoom. Our networks have grown so much. You know, I find I'm working with people I would never have met prior to lockdown. You know, I've connected and made some wonderful connections with other freelancers that would never have happened if we hadn't made this adjustment to working, you know, remotely. So I think that's been a positive. I always like to put like one positive in. But um, yeah, I think in terms of mental health, especially for freelancers, for anyone really, this, this is a difficult time. And I always think for me, resilience is so key and it's building those resilient skills and it's being able to you know, take the knockbacks and take those doors that are shut in your face and be able to keep going and knowing that what you have is valuable. So I think that's always so important to be able to tune in and actually identifying what skills you do have and actually what skills you've got that are transferable to perhaps another sector and to working freelance and holding on to that and building that resilience so that every time, you know, there's a knockback, it's okay, you've got that grit and you're able to keep going. Sarah, I'm really interested to find out before the pandemic hit, the work that you were doing and how that's changed since the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's different in terms of the work I was doing before. I was obviously the training manager at the Production Guild, so working kind of very much in production training and doing uh, my counselling work on the side. The idea was always to counsel within the film and TV industry, within productions and stuff. But at the time, I had a different job. And then I guess things changed around the pandemic and what it became apparent was I'd never thought about counselling on zoom or offering mental health support on zoom and then all of a sudden that was the only viable option and actually do you know what it works really well and in terms of for creative freelancers it means you can be you know counseling people all over the country can be supporting productions and crew when they're on location so it's that accessibility that actually i had never would have even contemplated before you know, so that that's been the shift. And in terms, I think you asked about mental health, obviously, prior to the pandemic, there were different issues. And I think the thing to remember is everybody still has those same issues that they had before. And then what we've done is we've just layered the pandemic on top of that. You know, I do a thing with a stress bucket that lots of mental health training has. So everybody has a container that's a certain size and it's the size of your vulnerability. So if you have a really small one, then you don't have much capacity. And I think if we imagine in everybody's container, whatever size that looks like because of what they've got going on in their lives, if you imagine there's a base layer of COVID in everyone's, then, you know, people have limited capacity. People are, you know, having to really employ more self-care tools and be so much more mindful about looking out for themselves. Uh, Rachel, I also want to get your opinion on how you think freelancing will change over the next couple of years for creatives. And again, what mental skills they'll need to bounce back from this pandemic. Um, I think it will be in more demand, actually, as people will be able, you know, as a, a lot of companies have adapted and done a, gone through a lot of, you can tell I work in tech, um, done a lot of transformation over the last year because they've needed to, which allows them to also access a lot of people that aren't necessarily, you know, people have been talking for years about how London has been this, this hotspot, you know, you have to work in London to be able to get the big jobs. But now they have access to people arguably globally 
And so I think that there'll be more freedom on that front. And therefore, people will probably take the opportunity to join the freelance pool. I also hope that we'll see a little bit more um, regulation around it as well or support. I think the, for a huge and I, I, Sarah, I don't know if you if you saw this in particular with people you were talking to. But back at the beginning of the pandemic, back in March, there was no t- when they started the first fellow scheme for almost three months, there was nothing and there was no talk of any support. And it that also created a lot of anger, I think, is that we weren't recognized as a, as a workforce, as, as somebody, as a, as a group contributing in a really helpful way. And, you know, you look at things like, you know, Netflix has been such a huge thing. These are all made by creatives. The creators have been the people to get you through the pandemic. They deserve, you know, this support, whether it's financial, whether it's PR support, whatever, there, there, there needs to be some kind of, and I think there will be, now that people are seeing what it is and what it entails, and actually, you know, there's a lot of negativity around it because yes, we've lost a lot of work. But I think once that shifts and it stops uh, people stop treating, you know, freelancers as something that could just be dispensed with. Then it will become as a, a normal, as and especially with the remote work, it will become normal, and therefore we'll see, you know, a bigger sort of gelling, I say, between freelancing and the normal nine to five. Yeah, I mean, uh, research by Ipse has found, um, and my colleagues in the research department will be angry at me for not knowing the exact stats, but they found that there's always a bounce back after a session of freelancing because people look for that flexible workforce that freelancers offer. And it means that freelancers are in demand and they're going to be more in demand than ever. So Sarah, I wondered your thoughts on that. I mean, to go from having no work to potentially when things open up again, being more in demand than ever, that must be a very difficult transition for people. Is that something that you think will happen? Yeah, I think so. I think for for most people, there's going to be an adjustment period to getting back. And I think some people are anxious about getting back, especially if, you know, they're going back into work when you still got the pandemic is still going on. So I think, you know, there is that element I think it's really important to remember that we don't forget all those skills we had before. You know, we do still have them. We've just that maybe facet of our lives, that kind of being bubbly in the coffee shop is at the moment just turned off, but it's still there. So I'm a great believer that when we get back out, it is still there. We're just going to turn all those other bits back on. Absolutely. I think I completely agree with that. Um, There are some skills that we have lost during this pandemic that we absolutely have. And mine is the ability to wake up at 7.30 in the morning and (laughs) then get ready, go to work and be awake still at six seven o'clock when I get home I've now I have no idea how I even did that (laughs) that feels like an alien concept I mean I've been wearing slippers for months now I mean even the skill of wearing shoes feels like a bit of a stretch for me at the moment (laughs) I mean I I second that I can't remember the last time I woke up before eight yeah when I say eight I mean ten um um, I also think that one thing this has done is put needs at the forefront And I think, you know, when people are going back into offices is that companies are going to have to adapt to understanding that employees needs are different, but also actually accommodating that. Like, obviously, we've had to the one thing that obviously we've seen in the pandemic is, you know, I live alone, for example. And once upon a time, that was a that was a lifestyle choice. And I absolutely loved it. But there have been times during it where actually it's become somewhat of an albatross. Whereas obviously then I've got I've got friends who have, you know, they're homeschooling children and they're, you know, that particularly the women, unfortunately, because the, the burden is falling to them, is that they are burning out. So it's it's showing the spectrum of needs. And obviously going back to an office where 
some people will be vulnerable some people will be more nervous some people you know will want to go for drinks every day to see people and it's about you know understanding again that the employees are people and you know we're all dealing with this in the best way we can I agree with you Rachel and Sarah I was just going to ask you I know you said that freelancers need to be resilient um but in general and Rachel I'd welcome your input on this as well um but if we start with you Sarah are there any characteristics that you think you need to have to work as a freelancer to work independently I think it's I mean if we think about in the terms of the pandemic I think with the working from home I think if we're going to talk about building resilience with the working from home where everything's kind of blended there's no clear, clear demarcation between work and home. I think really being firm with boundaries is so important to our mental health and well-being and keeping our resilience kind of strong. Because what interesting, there was a study from the Wall Street Journal. They studied people in New York and their average commute time was normally 50 minutes. And of course, everybody had lost their commute. So they worked out that what people were doing was working more. So productivity was at an all-time high and actually mental well-being was at an all-time low. So I think if we're going to think about carrying on working from home, it's about thinking about little things like that 50 minute commute. What could you do in your commute time? Where's the break between your day, your working day and then your home life of an evening? So I think that that's really important for freelancers going forward if we are still going to be working kind of remotely and within our homes. And I mean, there's lots of tips to build resilience, you know, about making sure. Martin Seligman is the father of positive psychology. And he says the three P's that really hinder resilience is personalization permanence and pervasiveness so if you keep sending out cvs knocking on the door and the door keeps being slammed in your face and you personalize that and then what happens is you see it as permanent i'm never going to get another opportunity and then you let it pervade so it doesn't become just about work so your internal dialogue is i'm rubbish nobody's giving me a chance and then i'm rubbish i'm a rubbish partner a rubbish parent so he says if you can reframe things and see them from the impersonal the impermanent and the specific perspective it really enhances our well-being so that would be my top tip don't use the three p's in a bad negative way that's fantastic. That's so interesting. I'm going to have to look that up. I just had one more question for you, Sarah, before Rachel, um, I wanted to get your perspective on that. But Sarah, if more people are going to potentially be going into freelancing, do you think that opens up the door for people to work who maybe find the traditional way of working too challenging mentally? Um, I'm thinking maybe about people who suffer from mental health illnesses that wouldn't therefore work in a workplace because that would be too difficult or people who suffer from anxiety or depression. I just wondered if you think that this kind of lockdown and working from home and realising that that can be, be done and the potential move to more freelancers will make it easier for more people to access work. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think it makes it much more accessible for so many different people and people can put things in place when you're working from home and remotely that to support your own well-being. And also, I think there'll be a shift in when you're working for companies as an employee or maybe as a freelancer contracted, that actually companies are seeing that actually, you know, there's people work better in different ways. Not everybody works brilliantly from nine till five some people work better 10 till six you know so like wellness action plans that companies can put in place what works for the freelancer the employee um, how can we make this job work better for you because it's so much more beneficial to keep people on rather than be changing people you know both from a financial sense for businesses so I think definitely I definitely think there's learning all around and I think it's much more accessible 
Yeah, it's a really good point. And Rachel, um, I wanted to get your perspective on if you think you need to be a certain type of person to freelance or if there are any characteristics that you think are helpful to being freelance. I would say that it definitely lends itself to not necessarily a certain type of personality, but if you have certain types of traits that can be beneficial versus those that don't. I mean, I was, I, I totally agree with what Sarah said about boundaries and, you know, having to enforce them with people, you know, things get as, as a freelancer, you know, it, in a quite, in a different way, I'd say to the, to when I was a lawyer, for example, things get flung at you last minute and there's an expectation, um, especially now with, you know, that you'll always be on email and that you'll respond within a certain time. And so you have to be able to manage that. And talking about, you know, obviously the mental health illnesses that you, you're talking like, for example, I have anxiety. I've, I've, I've had anxiety for, you know, a number of years and I also suffer really badly with insomnia. But what freelancing has allowed me to do is understand how I work best and also be flexible around those things. So, for example, if, if I don't sleep well, I've stopped beating myself up that I don't start work until 12 p.m. But then I might be working till 9, 10 p.m. to get stuff done. That, I think, is actually it really works on that level but there has to be some kind of management in terms of boundary setting for for example anxiety like using as I've seen some people use out of offices that say I check my inbox at this time in the morning and this time in the evening and we'll get back to you during that time Um, and that really works so it's about learning what works for you so for example my best friend and I both freelancers both very different kinds of freelancers Uh, she likes working from the sofa I hate it. I have to have an office and I don't have an office, Um, but I have, you know, I've made a makeshift corner in my living room to be able, because I have to be able to feel like I'm physically in a space to do work. And so, yeah, so it's been a massive learning curve about things like that. And so I do, it really depends on how you work best and not allowing it to exacerbate or worsen certain traits that you have. That's really interesting. Thanks, Rachel. Tina, Sarah mentioned about the commute and we're missing that 50 minute commute or whatever. And you were a particularly big fan of the commute because you love bus journeys, don't you? You used to get the bus to work every day and you tell us about it when you got into the office about what your bus journey was like. So are you missing that? I actually am. You know, um, I'm not missing all the drama from the bus rides. But yes, I used to avoid taking the tube in the overground and just take one long bus ride into work. And one thing that I am missing from that commute is just kind of my alone time. So right now, even though I have all this time, I'm feeling guilty because I haven't been reading books. I don't know why, (laughs) but I just don't have that kind of set commute time. And so I think I might take your advice, Sarah, and just say, right, I'll take that 50 minutes of the day I was spending commuting and just go off somewhere in my house and have that time to just sit in quiet and read. You know what? I really don't miss my commute because my commute was an hour and a half on the central line and then the district line every day, each way. So it's three hours a day and it was horrific. But I do miss, like, I used to watch The Office on my phone. I'd watch, like, just telly and find things funny. And I realised that I wasn't spending any time just watching something. And my only focus is watching that thing. Because obviously, when you're on the tube, you can't get text messages or phone calls. Whereas now, if I watch something on the telly, I'm also on my phone and I'm answering emails or I'm texting people and stuff. So, actually, having that focus of three hours a day, I didn't realise how much I needed that. So, Sarah, your point about that, I mean, I've heard people say, you know, go for a walk before you start work, but that isn't what I was doing. I wasn't walking to work. 
what actually would be best for me is to spend maybe not an hour and a half, but half an hour after work just on my own, (laughs) not having any outside distraction. I guess that kind of links into that resilience thing of, you know, building up your resilience. And Rachel, I wondered if you had anything to say about that, about the resilience, like uh, Sarah was given those brilliant tips about resilience. Is is that something that you're going to take on board? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I actually, for a lot of, um, for one of the, the startups I work for, we write a lot about uh, culture and resilience, especially in sort of leadership, but it absolutely applies to everybody. And I, I started um, mentoring last year. And one thing I noticed, and it feeds absolutely into what Sarah is saying, is that actually one of the things that has suffered the most is self-belief and confidence. And being a freelancer, you have to be your own champion. Your feedback is few and far between. Some, I mean, I, I, I've had to deal with the fact that, you know, some clients just don't say anything. Your work might be really good, but they just don't say anything. And so you have to keep going and keep believing in yourself. And I think the pandemic in particular has has really kind of shattered that. And so I would say as part of your resilience, really, really work on, you know, your self-belief and your confidence. And some of the tips I give to my mentees is like things like sit down and look back at the things you have achieved, no matter how small because you have achieved them. Just speak to a couple of people that you've either worked with or friend who can tell you what you're good at. And by listening to someone else, it reinforces this idea that actually Holden said, I am good at my job or I am good at this. And for example, I do, you know, pitching, I get silent, wall of silence. I will be absolutely hands up honest to say that over the last few months, that wall of silence has, has paralyzed me on that front. So I'm currently shifting my focus to do what I can on other fronts and be proactive where I can and know that actually that's something I have to confront and not let it, as as Sarah rightly said, not let it be a permanent state of affairs. And I know I will. It's just it's one of those things that it just seems a bit much at the moment, along with everything else. But it really is a case. It sounds silly, but if you know if you have lost work and you need to find it again, it will shine through when you're making applications or you're pitching to people. And also in interviews when you're talking to people, because you can, it's really easy to spot somebody that doesn't believe what they're saying. And so, yeah, I would say absolutely, you know, that's one of the real key things. Yeah, I would agree with that. Resilience seems like such an important skill. And both of your inputs into that have been really interesting. And I know that I am going to be Googling the three Ps after this and trying to implement that. Before we answer questions sent in from our listeners, we're pausing to recognise the freelancer of the week. So each week we celebrate a freelance success and this week's freelancer is Shard Meads Williams, curator of the Freelance Writing Jobs newsletter. Rachel, you're nodding. She's a bit of a freelance writer's god, isn't she? She is. She's a hero. I love I love her newsletter every week. Oh, it's brilliant. So Shard recently finished writing her book, The Pajama Myth, and we are so excited to read it. Congratulations, Shard. Congratulations, Shard. Yeah, congratulations. Now we have have some questions sent in from freelancers for us to ask you. This week, all questions are anonymous. Firstly, someone asks, I've had no work since October, and even that was my first job since March. I went from working in-house with a big team to not seeing anyone for months and months. I fear that the isolation I have experienced will stop me from being able to work in a team again. How can I phase myself back into working in a team? I mean, I'd say just, you know, take things a step at a time. It's very hard to imagine, you know, while we're sitting in the middle of lockdown, it's very, very hard to imagine what things are going to look like again. A lot of companies are working on kind of phase back strategies. Facebook is an example. You know, they're, they're thinking of changing offices and where they're going to put people. I totally understand the anxiety around it, but 
there can be a danger of catastrophizing and trying to imagine this situation where you're being forced to go back into an office of 300 people when you've not seen another human for two months and actually just just take it day by day and you know when things start easing and things start opening up again do what you can to make yourself feel safe and make yourself feel better in those situations by reaching you know reaching out to people and doing what you can to re-engage and you will get there that's really good advice Sarah do you have anything to add to that yeah, I mean, I think that's great. I think it's like Rachel said, it's about taking your time and, you know, that phased back in. And like I said, right at the beginning, you know, you've got those tools. It's not like it's like riding a bike. It's not like you've forgotten how to work in a team. You've done it before so you can do it again. And although it might feel strange because you've got used to something different, you will kind of find your feet again. And I always think with anything, it's about giving yourself a break and not beating yourself up if it's, you know, you're having a difficult week or you're struggling to find your feet because you will get there eventually but we don't want to kind of be beating ourselves up along the way because it just makes it a much harder adjustment period. It's almost like, you know, when you go on holiday or you have like a few weeks off work and then you go back maybe after Christmas or something and you start again and you're like, wait, what do I do? Like, what what am I meant to do right now? Like, uh, you know, it's such a strange feeling. And I think it's almost a bit like that when we go back to working in the office we will feel like that for a while. But then after, you know, after a few hours or maybe a couple of days or weeks, however long it takes, you'll just be back in the swing of things again. And I think I do think that's a that's true. And you're right, Rachel, what you said about trying not to catastrophize it. Absolutely. I think we can work ourselves up in a bit of a stress about these things that actually will be fine in reality. But that doesn't mean that the fear isn't valid beforehand. Um, The next question is, I feel like I'm so far behind my friends who are in employed roles who have not missed any work. How can I change that? And Sarah, if we start with you. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because for me, the word behind is interesting because I think often the language we use can be so damaging because that would infer that you were in a race. And, you know, what are you behind? Nobody's path looks the same. So it might be that this year you've lost work. So there's been a few more hurdles in the road. It's been harder for you in comparison to friends who have not lost any work. But actually, you know, the race is long and it's not a race. So the road is long. And I think words like behind can be really detrimental to our well-being. It's been a pause for many people this year, especially freelancers. It's like everything's been put on pause. But eventually, you know, we're going to play again and we'll get back to normal. So I think, yeah, giving yourself a break really and not comparing, I think it becomes really detrimental to our well-being where we do this kind of comparison um, with where other people are. So it's about, you know, you've had your journey and accepting how difficult that might have been and moving forward from that place. Rachel, you've said that your best friend is also a freelancer. But I wondered what you think about this question and maybe how important is it for you to have a have a friend who understands the freelance issues? I would say this question hits really personally, especially this year. Two reasons why. Number one is that when I changed career, obviously I haven't gone to journalism school. I haven't basically have have cut my teeth on starting a blog and then kind of learning how to write and then sort of connecting myself well enough to be able to you know be in a sort of a, a strategy position but I learned the the benefit of communities especially in the last year especially online ones um like things like the coven or freelancing for journalists that I, I'm on on Facebook and they've been you know so helpful in terms of accessing resources but my god the comparison is is hard especially for me who has career changed i feel behind everybody that you know decided that they wanted to do 
journalism you know when they left uni and and feel like you know I'm com- I say competing in in inverted quotes I realize people can't see me um there's like competing with with especially younger journalists that have you know come straight out of uni and then they're, they're writing for big publications but at the same time I've had to stop and I have written on this for pivot and decide in you know there are things that I am ahead of than other people but like Sarah said it isn't a race calling it like calling it a race or even framing it in that language is really negative for your again your self-belief but it's yeah so it's and it's also especially for me in this last year you know having lost work and I, I've managed to pick up some work with it with an old absolutely lovely client that I used to work with in, in 2017 but for me I haven't moved forward or at least feels like I haven't what I have managed to do is you know maintain and, and survive but I've definitely not th- or feel like I've not thrived and that's hard because in that you know in that time a lot of friends have you know got promotions and and things like that and it, it's it can be even though you know like their success is my success you know I love and support my friends and I want them to do really well but it can like that idea that I have you know I've stagnated in the last year which whether or not it is the reality or not can feel like that um and so it's just basically trying to just stop and catch yourself in that moment when you're doing it and then there are you know things like well actually you know I have achieved this things as simple as you know writing down some some minor wins in a day or for example I had um, a brilliant accountability session this morning with um with Lizzie Denning and and some other um freelance folk that I met in one of these communities and we talk about the hard stuff, but we even talk about the win actually by learning to direct your mind to the small wins has actually been really beneficial and, you know, changed my mood for the day. I think that's absolutely true. What you said about essentially having to be your own cheerleader. I think freelancers, what we've seen a lot of is they go on social media because it's a great place to find a community and speak to like-minded people and get that social interaction and also network. But at the same time, it can also be a place where you see the successes of other freelancers and it contributes to imposter syndrome and that comparison, like you were saying earlier, Sarah, about saying you're behind is, is just detrimental in general. And I guess the final question we have here is how can I switch off at home when I want to be trying to find work all the time? I feel stressed constantly and working is the only way to limit that stress. Sarah, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the thing is we have to be really mindful that we're not permanently working for our self-care. And I think this time is uniquely stressful because we have no control and there's no certainty. So that's a uniquely stressful combination, those two things. And actually the things that have been proven, there was a really interesting study in America, the things to improve that are flow and mindfulness. So flow is very much like what Jess was talking about when she lost herself in the office. So it's that kind of thing. It's like video games where you lose all sense of time and mindfulness. And then the other one was scheduling. So strategic scheduling. So if your work is blending into everything, you know, and you feel you need to do that to limit stress, it's still about scheduling those breaks. So maybe putting in your phone, you know how the Zoom meetings pop up. This is my 10 minute coffee break. This is my lunch break. And I'm going to take it in another room. So it's about putting those boundaries in because otherwise it, it will merge and finding other things to help limit the stress. So mindfulness and flow are the two proven ones that really help with this lockdown. And Rachel, I know you said that you like to have your own desk space, almost like an office or 
corner um, to be able to work in. Does that help you switch on and off from work? And are there any other things that you do? Yes, I would definitely say, you know, I don't I don't tend to. Um, and this is going to sound like a luxury because, for example, I'm, I'm talking to you via my laptop at the moment, but on my desk is a desktop. Um, and actually, that was a huge I bought that a couple of years ago. And that was a huge shift for me was I wanted my desk to feel like a proper office desk and that included having an immovable computer and so actually if you know if I'm binging Netflix or something like that I'll use my laptop I'll use my tv but my my desktop is work and uh, the other thing I would actually say for me writing once upon a time was you know the way I relaxed and it was my hobby and I really struggled with now that it is part of my career what do I do as a hobby? And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the pitching relates to things I'm really passionate about and I really want to write about, but it feels like work now. Obviously, if you know, if you're seeking to get paid for it, which you should be, um, it is work. So it isn't, it is. So I like, it's about finding that balance and really doing something that you love that has in some respects, no monetary value, I'd say, because for example, I'm big on, even though I work in tech, I'm a big on tech, not ruling your life. I'm one of the few people I know who turns my phone off at night and I always get the response be like, what about your alarm? And I mean, I've had an, a, a, a digital alarm sit for, you know, the last decade. It's, you know, it's slowly breaking, but it means I've never had to rely on my phone. And actually what I started to do, because in terms of me and, and my kind of engage, especially with, you know, writing and being involved in communities is that I get digitally frazzled quite easy and obviously now we're zooming with friends and we're on whatsapp and I love it and the connection is great and you know obviously living alone is it's good to have that but actually I almost overdo it like worry about you know what will I be all right on my own and you know so I kind of make plans to speak to people and then I'm like why am I so exhausted and I noticed that I was just pulling away more and pulling away more so what I started to do is my new year's resolution is I have a day a week with my phone off and I started the first week of January, just before I went back to work, I had from Sunday night until Wednesday morning, I had my phone off, which sounds crazy, I think, in this, this day. And I'm looking, I'm looking at your faces. Um, but I read almost three books in that time. I sat on my sofa and I just read. I didn't, you know, didn't watch TV. I just read my books. I won't lie that towards the Wednesday, there was a little bit of anxiety about oh my God, what if people have, you know, tried to get hold of, hold of me? I mean, I had emailed people in advance and said, by the way, my phone's off. Uh, email me if you need me but it's uh but it was bliss it was absolute and you know that time for people are so worried about being alone with their thoughts that they don't give any time to be alone with their, their thoughts and actually you know it was it was bliss I have so much respect for that I feel like we're all a bit addicted to our phones aren't we and um I, I I have to be honest I would really struggle with that but I think it's a fantastic habit to form and it might be maybe an hour at a time as a starter before going into a whole day about my phone um but that's that's brilliant advice I think we yeah maybe we all need to spend less time on our phones for our listeners remember that if you have a question about freelancing that you want us to put to an expert then drop us an email at content at freelancecorner.co.uk that's it for this episode you'll be able to find a lot of information in the show notes below and on the freelance corner website Thanks for listening. Join Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers at freelancecorner.co.uk for regular guides, tools and content on growing your freelance business. Please subscribe to our podcast, like, share and leave us a review and let us know what we should quiz an expert on next time. We hope our listeners stay safe at home and thank you so much for joining us, Sarah and Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me as well.